All right, so as we begin, I thought it would be good to clarify once again, when we're talking about Isaiah, we're talking about his prophecy to the nation Israel, in particular to Judah, the southern kingdom, which is the one that is left at this point. Well, at the beginning, there is a, a few years left with the northern kingdom, but to the Jewish people. Now, I've warned you that it would be very it's not proper to take what is being said and applying it to our own nation. He is not talking about America here, folks. He's talking about, well, let's just say it, the people of God. Now, if you want to take what he's saying here and transfer it over to the people of God today, that would be you and I. So, for instance, I'll give you an example. Last week, at the end of our time, uh, the question was raised. You know, God was saying that he didn't like their sacrifices anymore. You know, he, they, why are they bringing them and so forth? So the question was, was that when the sacrifices ended? No, it's not when the sacrifices ended. That ended when Jerusalem was destroyed in A.D. 70. This is 700 B.C. that he's writing here. But... What his point was is your sacrifices, your incense, all that you're doing is meaningless to me because, and I hate it. God says he hates it. Why? Because their heart wasn't in it. Now, what, what does that mean for you and I as the people of God today? So you think about today, what's the application? How does God feel about our empty works of service when we come to church? whether it's when we're singing a song or whether it's when we're praying, whether it's when we're making an offering or serving in the church, if our heart is in it, what we're, quote, doing for the Lord is meaningless. Did you understand what I'm saying? That, that's basically what he's saying. So that's, that's a good illustration here of how do we find application to a message of condemnation, which is at the beginning part of Isaiah, how do we find that in our lives today? Now, that's especially going to be true today. As we go into, really, the second part of the indictment of the nation, we're going to see it in verses 3 to 5. He's going to be mentioning things, the prophet's going to be mentioning things that they were doing as a people that were downright wrong. And you're going to see that, and you can say, well, I see those same things in our culture. Yes, you could say you can see the same things in our culture, but remember, we're talking about the people of God who are supposed to be what? Different than the rest of the world. Do you understand what I'm saying? Different than the rest of the nations around them. Okay, so what we're going to do is we're going to take one section of Scripture at a time and work our way through it. So in chapter 3, verse 1, through chapter 4, verse 1, he is going to pronounce a judgment on Judah and Jerusalem. So let's take a look, first of all, at the judgment on Judah. Listen to what Isaiah writes. For behold, the Lord, the Lord of hosts, takes away from Jerusalem and from Judah the stock and the store, the whole supply of bread and the whole supply of water, the mighty man and the man of war, the judge and the prophet, the diviner and the elder, the captain of fifty and the honorable man, the counselor and the skillful artisan, and the expert enchanter. I will give children to, 
to be their princes, and babes shall rule over them. The people will be oppressed, everyone by another and everyone by his neighbor. The child will be insolent towards the elder and the base towards the honorable. When a man takes hold of his brother in the house of his father, saying, You have clothing, you be our ruler, let these ruins be under your power. In that day he will protest, saying, I cannot cure your ills, for in my house is neither food nor clothing. Do not make me a ruler of the people. For Jerusalem stumbled and Judah is fallen, because their tongue and their doings are against the Lord. To provoke the eyes of his glory, the Lord on their countenance witnesses against them. And they declare their sin as Sodom. They do not hide it. Woe to their soul. For they have brought evil upon themselves. Say to the righteous that it shall be well with them. For they shall eat the fruit of their doings. Woe to the wicked. It shall be ill for him. For the rewards of his hand shall be given him. As for my people... Children are their oppressors. Women shall rule over them. O oh, my people, those who lead you cause you to err and destroy the way of your paths. The Lord sets up to, stands up to plead to, and stands to judge the people. The Lord will enter into judgment with the elders of his people and with his princes. For you have eaten up the vineyard, and the plunder of the poor is in your houses. Why do you, what do you mean by crushing my people, grinding the faces of the poor, says the Lord God of hosts. Okay, so there's some pretty interesting things that he's saying here. All of it is in judgment. So let's talk about what he's specifically getting to in this judgment passage that he's talking about that they were doing as a people of God. So first of all, He's going to pronounce judgment and what he's going to do to them. So the Lord will take away the nation's supplies and the people that she relied on. So he's going to say to them, because of their evil, because of what they're doing, he said, I'm going to take away your stuff. And in particular, what he's talking about is their necessities. What? If you look at the passage, it says their bread. What does that mean? Food to eat. What? Water. Water to drink. Now, let's be honest. All of us would say, well, I need this to exist. Okay, somebody's like, I, I need my cup of coffee. Well, okay, you need your cup of coffee, but if it came right down to it, you could live without your cup of coffee. But what you can't live without is what? Water. And your basic needs, such as food. And when we say food, I'm not talking about filet mignon, okay? I'm not even talking about venison. Just the basic needs that you need to survive. God says, I'm going to take that away from you. He's telling them, I'm going to take that away from them in judgment. Here's what he says. The Lord will give Judah foolish, immature, and inexperienced leadership. So when he says to them, I'm going to make children rule over you. I'm going to make babies be your king, and so forth. He's telling them, I'm going to put people over you to guide you who are foolish and immature. 
That's a pretty pronounced thing, isn't it? Because usually, typically, we need leadership that will guide us through the difficulties that we face that are seasoned, that are mature. He's saying, part of my judgment is I'm going to take away your stuff, but I'm also going to what? Give you immature leadership. Here's the next thing. Oppression and insolence will mark the time. Oppression and insolence. I think this is in, in, interesting. If you look at verse 5, the people will be oppressed, everyone by another and everyone by his neighbor. So oppression is going to take place on a local level, not just from oppression from forces outside, but people are going to oppress people even in the community among themselves, by their neighbors and so forth. Everybody's going to take advantage of them, each other. He's also saying there's going to be insolence. What kind of insolence? Look at what he says. The child will be insolent towards the elder and the base towards the honorable. What does that mean? There will be no level of respect in the community again. So you, you understand what I'm talking about. So, so everyone here is old enough to remember there was supposed to be a level of respect when you were growing up towards who? Your elders or people who were in authority. And so as part of the judgment against this nation, he's saying that whole social order is going to be in upheaval. There's going to be no more respect. The young ones aren't going to respect their parents anymore. Those who are low in society are not going to give honor to those who are high in society anymore. That's what he's pointing out here. That's what he's stressing is happening here with them. Now, it's interesting. When you look at it, you say, wow, look at how far they've fallen. But God is saying, I'm going to do this to you. I'm going to do this to you. I'm going to create a situation where you have immature leadership, where nobody among yourselves will give, is going to do right by each other. Everybody's going to take advantage of each other, and there will be no more respect. There will be total insolence among people in the community. And God is saying, I'm doing it to you. Now that blows our mind, doesn't it? That God would do that in judgment. Why is he doing this? So let's remind ourselves, why is he doing this? We go back to the first two chapters. They quit worshiping God. They, the people of God, quit worshiping him. They quit acknowledging him. They were going, chasing after the other gods, whoring, so to speak. That's how it's referred to in the Old Testament, is that the, the children of Israel were whoring against God, whoring against him by, by seeking after other gods. So this is the judgment that's going to happen with them. So then, here's this. They will seek to make anyone a leader and no one will want it. They'll seek to make anyone a leader. They'll try and find any guy. Hey, you be our leader. And the guy says, no, I don't want to do that. That's all part of the judgment. But in the midst of this, here's what God says. Okay, so he pauses. Okay, in the midst of this, you're like, man, wow. Whoa. What hope is there for us? Well, here's what he, he swings back around because in the midst of an ungodly nation, there are still people who are what? Righteous. 
There are still people who are doing what's right. Here's what he says. The righteous will be rewarded and the wicked will be paid back for their deeds. So God's going to bring it back to, okay, yes, this is happening. But if you do right, you'll be rewarded. But recognize the wicked, they're going to be judged. They're going to be judged. And so here's what he says. The Lord stands ready to judge the nation for the oppression of the poor. He's ready to stand judgment over them because of how they treat the poor. Now, isn't that interesting? Now, it's a point I need to make here, okay? So if you look with me at verse 9, the look on their countenance, the witness against them, and they declare their sin as Sodom, they do not hide it, woe to our soul, for they have brought evil upon themselves. Okay, now what is he talking about here, like Sodom? Okay, so what happens is, here's the problem. Usually when we think in terms of Sodom, we think in terms of one particular sin. Period. We think in one particular sin. The sin of Sodom is homosexuality. That's not what he's talking about here. Because actually the sin of Sodom was a lot more than that. The sin of Sodom was materialism and self-sufficiency. Because here's what's going to happen. When we go through the prophets, the prophets are going to continually refer to Jerusalem like her sister Sodom. Whoa, what, like her sister Sodom? What was, is it because of that one sin? No, no. It's because of her materialism. Everything was about what you could acquire for yourself. And in the meantime, they were oppressing who? The widows and the orphans. The widows and the orphans. The destitute of their society. That's, that's what he's getting to here. See, you say, I, I don't know if I agree with that, George. Well, if you go over to Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32, you'll see there that Paul pronounces that Gentile nations are condemned. Here's what they're condemned for. He goes and says to them, they're condemned because they exchanged the knowledge of God for their own knowledge. And professing to be wise, they became what? Fools. And they no longer need God, so they turned their attention to making gods for themselves and, and, and heaping upon for their lusts, doing whatever they could to satisfy their own desires. And then what he does is, is he progresses through Romans and tells you that where they ultimately end up in their desire for more stuff and satisfying the lusts of their heart, they then go off into what? Homosexuality. That's the decline of a culture. And he's pointing out here to this, these people, you're oppressing the poor. That's not what God had set up in his law. They were supposed to be a community of God's people who what? Cared for each other. So he's judging them here. Okay, so he's judging them. Let's go on now. Look with me now. He's going to talk about the fall of Jerusalem. Look with me at verse 16 through verse 1. Moreover, says the Lord, because the daughters of Zion are haughty and walked with outstretched necks, 
and wanton eyes, walking and mincing as they go, making a jingling with their feet, the Lord will strike with a scab. Therefore, the Lord will strike with a scab a crown of the head of the daughters of Zion, and the Lord will uncover their secret parts. In that day, the Lord will take away the finery, the jingling anklets, the scarves and the crescents and the pendants and the bracelets and the veils, the headdresses and the leg ornaments and the headbands, the perfume boxes, the charms and the rings, the nose jewels, the festal apparel and the mantles, the outer garments, the purses and the mirrors, the fine linens, the turbans and the robes. And so it shall be, instead of a sweet smell, there shall be a stench. Instead of a sash, a rope. Instead of well-set hair, baldness. Instead of rich robe, a girding sackcloth. And branding instead of beauty. And your men shall fall by the sword, and your mighty in war. Her gates shall lament and mourn. And she, being desolate, shall sit on the ground. And in that day, seven women shall take hold of one man, saying, We will eat our own bread and wear our own apparel. Let us be called by your name to take away our reproach. Wow, that's, that's some serious judgment here. What's going on here? First of all, he's saying here that the women of Judah walked with pride and seductive eyes. So in their sin, they'd acquired a lot of wealth to the point that the women were walking around really dolled up with their necks up, their ankle, their feet jingling. What's that from? Their ankles, okay? If you notice the description here, they had nose rings. You know what I'm saying? I, I always find it interesting. We get all freaked out about current stuff that's happening in our culture, but if you look at what's going on here in Israel, they're wearing nose rings there. Do you understand? It's just part of their culture. And they're doing all of this, and so he's saying to them, they're prideful. And guess what? In his judgment, he's going to what? The Lord will strike them with deep distress so that they will no longer consider how they look. So it's going to be such a traumatic judgment brought upon them. They're just going to be worried about surviving. They're not going to even be worried about, how's my hair look? And I thought it's interesting. He said, you know, the, you know from well-set hair to baldness, that's judgment. Wow, am I in trouble, guys? Because my full head is gone now, you know? And... But the Lord will strike them with deep distress. Here's the other thing. The once prideful Jerusalem will mourn at her desolation. What's coming is going to be such judgment that the pride that there is, and you understand community pride. We, we go around and we say, boy, I like this. This is about our community. And, and a lot of times if you're in a place with nice buildings and so forth, wow, doesn't this look good here? That pride's going to disappear from Jerusalem because the monuments, the, the buildings that were built in their heyday will be what? Gone. 
will be destroyed. Will be destroyed. I think it's interesting that he goes on and says there that in the end, he starts off with the women and their, their place of power and place of having all this stuff. They're going to be desolate. In the end, he says, a group of women will go after one guy and say, we'll even feed ourselves. You don't have to feed us. We'll feed you. If you take me, I'll take care of myself. Just let me have your name so I can take away the reproach. What's the reproach? Being a widow. Being desolate. That's the tragedy of what's happening here. Okay? So now, he goes on in verses 2 through 6, and he talks about the branch of the Lord. Now, we're going to be talking about the branch of the Lord here. Who's the branch of the Lord? The Messiah. Now, I, I think this is interesting. So when we start out from the beginning of chapter 3, we're getting into chapter 4. Okay, up to this point, do you think it's pretty bad news? Would you guys agree with that, that this is not the kind of thing you sit around talking about, boy, I can't wait for this to happen. Do you know what I'm saying? This is judgment. Do you understand? But in the midst of the judgment passages, here's what I want you to see about our God. He holds forth hope. There's hope for the people. What is it? It's the branch. Let's look at it. Verse 2 through 6 of chapter 4. In that day, the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the earth shall be excellent and appealing for those of Israel who have escaped. And it shall come to pass that he who is left in Zion and remains in Jerusalem will be called holy, and everyone who is recorded among the living in Jerusalem. When the Lord has washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and purged the blood of Jerusalem from her midst by the spirit of judgment and by the spirit of burning. Then the Lord will create above every dwelling place of Mount Zion and above her assemblies a cloud and a smoke by day and the shining of a flaming fire by night. And over all the glory there shall be a covering. And there will be a tabernacle for shade in the daytime from the heat for a place of refuge, for a shelter from the storm and rain. Okay, so what's going on here? Well, let's take a look at this. First of all, we're going to see that the surviving remnant will enjoy the fruit of the branch's kingdom. So he's going to talk about those who remain, and that usually is a reference to those who are left from Israel after the judgment. They're called a remnant. Now, let me just kind of help you, because sometimes when you listen to Christian radio, there, there is a remnant theology out there. It means that those who are faithful to the Lord are left. No, that is not necessarily true. The standard understanding of the remnant is those who are left. Those who have survived the judgment. Does that mean they're pure and righteous? No, not necessarily. Because there was a remnant left over when Babylon was destroyed and taken away. You're going to find out when you read in Ezekiel that they weren't necessarily right either. To the point that they would have killed Ezekiel. So the point is, is that the surviving remnant, those who are left after the judgment, 
will enjoy the fruits of the branch's kingdom. Now this, folks, is prophecy. What do you mean prophecy? This is something that's in the future. What do you mean? Well, the branch is the Messiah. Has he established his kingdom here yet? Anyone? No, when does that happen? Yeah, when the second coming of Christ. When does the second coming of Christ? At the very end when Israel is at its most desperate state because the Antichrist is going to what? Wipe them out. And they have no more hope. They will be saved by who? Jesus. And he will establish their kingdom. And so what it's saying is, is those who are left will enjoy the fruit of the branch's kingdom. Okay, now, the branch is the Messiah, which we know is who? Jesus. Okay? Now, here's some scriptures to help you to understand that. Jeremiah 23, verse 5. Behold, the day is coming, says the Lord, I, that I will raise up to David a branch of righteousness. Okay, so this is from Jeremiah identifying the branch of righteousness. The, a, and here's what Jeremiah also says. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. So this is who the Messiah is. He's going to raise up to David a branch. All right, let's go on. Jeremiah chapter 33, verse 15. In those days and at that time, I will cause to grow up to David a branch of righteousness, and he shall execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. So again, he's saying he's going to raise up a branch. All right, let's go on now. Zechariah 3.8. Hear, O Joshua, the high priest, you and your companions who sit before you, for they are a wondrous sign. For behold, I am bringing forth my servant, the branch. Okay, I'm bringing forth my servant, the branch. Here's Zechariah 6.12. Then speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, saying, Behold, the man whose name is the branch. This is all referring to the Messiah. These are all passages that will give you understanding. Now, here's what he says there. With that remnant who's left at the end when Jesus comes. All right? The remnant will be called holy. They will be called holy. Why? Because they were purged. Purged through what? That tribulation. That is coming. Here's the other one. The Lord will cleanse Jerusalem of its sin and filth. Let's just go ahead and say this right now. This has never happened in all of the history of the world that Jerusalem was cleansed from its sin and filth. Would everybody agree with that? There is no way that that has taken place at this point. But it will in the future. Why? God will completely wipe it all out. Wipe it all out. I think it's interesting. When you look, you say, well, George, weren't there times in... In the Old Testament narratives, they, in some of the historical books there, it talked about one king going through and cleansing. Hezekiah did that. He cleansed, he cleansed the place of all of the things that were there. And, and didn't he clean it up then? No. Why? How do we know that? Because, well, for one thing, 
Later under Josiah, they destroyed the snake that was on a pole, the bronze snake. Remember, that was instituted under Moses to save them when they were bit by fiery snakes. What ended up happening is it developed a cult around it that worshipped the what? Snake. And that, even in the cleansing of Hezekiah, was left. So they didn't continue to clean up everything. They cleaned up some things, but they didn't get it all. But when Jesus comes, he's going to what? Take care of it all. He's going to take care of it all. Here's what he goes on and says then. The glory of the Lord will cover Jerusalem as it provides shelter and peace. The glory of God will cover Jerusalem as it provides shelter and peace. So now that brings us to chapter 5. So this is where we're going to spend the rest of our time. He's going to refer to them as a worthless vineyard. Okay? A worthless vineyard. Here it is what it is. Listen to this. Now let me sing to my beloved. A song of my beloved regarding his vineyard. My well-beloved has a vineyard. And on a very fruitful hill, he dug it up and cleared out the stones and planted it with the choicest vine. He built a tower in its midst and made a wine press in it. So he expected it to bring forth good grapes, but it brought forth wild grapes. And now, O, Jeru o inhabitants of Jerusalem, men of Judah, judge, please, between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done to my vineyard that I have not done in it? Why then, when I expected it to bring forth good grapes, did it bring forth wild grapes? And now, please let me tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge, and it shall be burned, and break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. I will lay it waste, and it shall not be pruned or dug. But there shall come up briars and thorns, and I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain on it. For the vineyard of the Lord of the hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are the pleasant plant. They looked for justice, but behold, oppression. For righteousness, but behold, a cry of help. So he's using an illustration of a vineyard here to talk about Israel. And what does he say? He did everything for them, and what did they produce? Bad grapes. So what's he going to do? Clean out the vineyard. All right, so let's take a look here. The Lord planted a vineyard and it produced wild grapes. Okay? Wild grapes. The Lord asks, what more could he have done for his vineyard? What more could he have done? He's done everything for them. And that's literally true, isn't it? He did everything for them. What does he do? The Lord will destroy the vineyard. He will bring judgment upon them. And here's what he says. Israel is the Lord's vineyard. 
Now, instead of justice and righteousness, Israel produced oppression and cries of distress. So rather than producing what should have been produced, they actually produced the exact opposite. Now, let me just stop for a moment. When you read through the prophets, you're going to come to grips with a reality that smacks right into some conventional thinking that is happening in the church today. What do you mean? Well, as a believer, you can come to the place, and I've been there, so I'm not talking as somebody who's not been there. I've been there that you can think because Christ died on the cross, and then here's the reality that you and I continue to sin, that we're okay. That there's no, no consequences from that. Well, here's what I want you to understand. Throughout the scripture, God says he just doesn't turn away his eyes. And he will what? Discipline. Do, do you understand? So when he says he's going to judge Israel and destroy them, he doesn't totally destroy him, does he? What does he do? He leaves a remnant to what? Start all over again. But what does he do in our lives? When you and I mess up, yes, there is forgiveness, but here's the thing. If we continue to mess up and we continue to bank in this idea that I'm okay, God brings into our life what? Chastisement and judgment to what? Get our attention. Why? So that we what? Turn back to him. Do you understand? Turn back to God. That's why he's bringing the judgment here in Israel's life he was wanting them to produce what? Good grapes in their, out of, their, out of the, who they were, but they were producing what? Bad grapes. What kind of bad grapes? Oppression of others and distress. And so he's going to deal with them. So that's the reality here. Okay, so now he's going to pronounce in the closing part here, woe to the wicked. And so this is verses 8 through 30. I don't have enough time to read these all, but I'll kind of give you a synopsis here of what's going on. In this section, you're going to see that this is what he condemns among God's people. All right, so here's the first one. The Lord condemns the materialists, materialists as their goods become worthless. So he's condemning those that are just striving for stuff, striving for stuff, but then ultimately their stuff becomes meaningless, worthless. Okay, here's what it is. The Lord condemns the drunkard because they did not care for others over their own pleasure. The alcoholic, the drunkard, is condemned here, he says, because he's only interested in himself. What? Feeding his what? Addiction. This is, this is real because I've been in a home of an alcoholic. And I didn't think anything of it as a child, the kind of meals my mom made. But later on, I was talking to somebody else about, you know, one of my favorite dishes my mom made was this. And they're like, what? Then I realized, looking at it from the perspective of an adult, why did mom make those meals? It's because we didn't have any money to buy other kinds of food. Why didn't we have the money? Because we were buying a case of beer a day. 
This is what he's condemning here. He's condemning the drunkards because they didn't care for others over their own pleasures. Here's what he says. Jerusalem will experience the defeat of exile, famine, and death because of its sin. So he's pronouncing judgment here on them. Okay? Woe to the wicked. This is what's going to happen to you. He goes on. The Lord will be exalted in his judgment of the nation. Now, we might have a hard time with that. What do you mean? How's God get glory from, from whooping his children? Well, I think we all understand that, right? Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. So you ever been to Walmart and you've seen a kid melt down over a toy? You ever been to Walmart and seen that happen? Okay. And typically what happens is, is you're looking at the kid and you're like, oh my goodness. But here's what usually happens. After a while, you're no longer looking at the kid, you're looking at who? The parent. And if the parent doesn't do anything about it, what do you do? Shake your head. Like, oh my goodness, what kind of problems are they creating for themselves? You know what I'm saying? You make all kinds of judgment calls there. But here's what you do, though. If it's a parent who then what? Immediately deals with it whether taking the child out to deal with them outside or immediately says, enough, what do you do? Wow, you're, they got it under control. You hold them up as what? Having dealt with their wayward children, right? This is the point that the author is making here. God is exalted by what? Bringing judgment. By dealing with us. That, that's the point here I want you to see. Let's go on. The Lord condemns those who doubt the work of the Lord. So he's, he's talking here in this passage that his condemnation isn't just on those who are not doing wrong. He's, his condemnation on those who are doubting him, who are doubting what he's doing. He continues on. The Lord condemns those who pervert what is good and exalt what is evil. Wow. Paul would later say in Romans that judgment is on those who not only sin, but who encourage others to sin. This is what's going on here. God is saying that those who encourage others to do wrong, who are saying that wrong now is right and right is wrong, they're condemned by the Lord. Let's go on. The Lord condemns those who are conceited. We understand what that is, right? When somebody is conceited, they're only thinking about who? themselves. And then the Lord condemns those who are drunkards and pervert justice. Self-indulgent and pervert justice. They will be destroyed because they have despised the Lord and his word. Now again, let me remind you, he's talking here about the people of God. The people of God. Can we find application for this in our society? Yes, yes, we can find application. But the fact is, is as the people of God, they were to be what? Different. Different. So the Lord will allow the nations to bring gloom and defeat to Judah. Let me explain something to you folks. When Israel is oppressed by the nations, it is always because of judgment. 
Always. God is allowing the nations to be a tool of his discipline. And so that brings us to the end. So where are we at with this? Well, let me just kind of say this in closing here. So next week, we're going to come to Isaiah 6. Now, when you understand the judgment that he's just talked about, he's just talked about last week, chapters 1 and 2, the fact that they are, their hearts are no longer with the Lord, their sacrifices and all that are meaningless, their religious exercises God hates. You come over now to this section, chapters 3 through 5. They're oppressing, they're, they're self-indulgent, they're, and God's going to bring judgment upon them, and he brings woe to them in the midst of it now. That brings us to chapter 6, where Isaiah now will have a vision of God. Because in the midst of that gloom and so forth, there's God. And so that's what we're going to see next week as we continue on.